CTV's W5 with Avery Haynes. One of serial killer Bruce MacArthur's first victims is breaking two decades of silence. And his story raises questions about why that first known crime wasn't taken more seriously by the courts and whether lives could have been saved if it had been. October 31st, 2001. It's shortly after noon in Toronto's Gay Village. 36-year-old Mark Henderson is walking home alone, oblivious to the fact his life is about to change forever. I was unlocking my apartment door, and I just felt a terrible whack. By the time I turned around, what I saw was he hoisted the pipe over his head that metal pipe comes down again and again on Mark's head. Every muscle in his face was clenched. He was full of rage. I remember feeling the indentation in my skull. He had popped my skull in. And I have a nursing background. I see cerebral spinal fluid and blood coming down. And I think I'm going to lose consciousness in a matter of seconds. And he was not going to stop. And you're thinking, this man is going to kill me. Yeah, I know he is. Mark scrambles into his apartment and dials 911. His attacker takes off. The brutal, completely unprovoked assault lasts just minutes. These police evidence photos of Mark's wounds have been sealed for the last two decades. This is the first time they're being made public. So these are the x-rays taken the day of the attack. There was a compound fracture at the back of my skull. A fractured skull and damage to his hand and a fractured finger. Mark needed six weeks of rehabilitation and sought refuge with his older sister, Tracy, outside Toronto. If you think back to when Mark first came in from the hospital to, to recuperate in your home, what your thoughts were when you laid eyes on him? Well, just, oh my God, you know, what the hell happened? You know, what, what happened to you? Because he was a mess. This was no ordinary crime. For one thing, the attacker turned himself in. He left Mark Henderson's apartment that Halloween afternoon in 2001 and went straight to police. He went to headquarters and said, I just attacked Mark Henderson. I think you're looking for me. So immediately, it's no longer an investigation. He's now admitting to a crime. So he's now being arrested and charged. Court transcripts show Mark's attacker was charged with weapons dangerous, assault with a weapon, and assault causing bodily harm. The name of the man who so brutalized Mark Henderson? Bruce MacArthur. MacArthur pleads guilty to eight counts of first-degree murder. The attack against Mark Henderson in 2001 was just the beginning in a wave of sickening crimes. The 67-year-old landscaper was arrested in 2018 and is now serving life in prison for the murders of eight men in Toronto's gay village. Mark Henderson is the first known target of Bruce MacArthur's rage. Back then, the two had occasionally crossed paths in the tight-knit gay village. There was no bad blood, 
but Mark was unnerved by MacArthur and tried to steer clear. I didn't like him. I kept my distance from him for months before this attack. When Mark Henderson's assault case went to trial in 2003, Mark was described only as a male hustler, a now-dated term for sex worker. There was no mention of the fact he was a nurse, a model, and an actor. I know that there's a lot said about me being an escort and a sex trade worker or whatever. By 2001, I was 10 years sober, and I had turned a lot of corners in my life. I wasn't gay-bashed, I was bash-bashed. It was probably looked at at headquarters where MacArthur turned himself in as two guys on Halloween fighting. Happens every year. Bruce MacArthur pleaded guilty. He offered no explanation for the attack, but apologized for all the pain and anguish. It's an apology Mark didn't hear. He was outside the courtroom, in the hallway, too terrified to be in the same room as MacArthur. These are the court transcripts from that trial in 2003, and this is the psychological report, which concluded that Bruce MacArthur was unlikely to reoffend. Now, the judge could have sentenced him to 10 years in jail. Instead, he didn't even serve a day. This is what he got. One year of house arrest, a two-year ban from entering the gay village, and three years probation. In sentencing, the judge told MacArthur, you made a mistake on this particular day, but it sounds to me like you're a pretty good person, and it sounds to me like you're not going to be back here anyway. Tracy remembers how her brother Mark was re-traumatized by that sentence. And I just remember him saying it's kind of a slap on the wrist type thing. He felt frustrated that it was just a slap on the wrist. Yeah, he was frustrated, but that's also why he's lived in fear you know, his whole life. Because if they're not taking a fractured skull seriously, what will they take seriously? Uh, death? You know, it took eight of them to finally make them take it seriously. In the years between that Halloween attack and when men started disappearing, Mark struggled to recover and found an unlikely way to make himself feel safe. Badge number 51324. Mm-hmm. What was a fun night. And valedictorian. And valedictorian. As far as I know, the first LGBTQ valedictorian. Mark became a volunteer auxiliary police officer from 2007 to 2009, trying to build connections between police and the gay community, including during the annual Pride Parade. Why did you feel like it was important, as a survivor of this terrible attack, as a member of the, of the gay community, to become one of the Toronto police? They were the biggest, scariest guys around, and I thought, I want to be there. I want to be on that side. And then, in 2010, men started vanishing. Can you give me a sense of, of what it was like for you as you're watching all of these men disappear? I knew I had the answer. I, I knew. And did your mind automatically go to Instantly. Bruce MacArthur? Instantly. A man Mark Henderson tried to warn police about years later when more men started disappearing. Coming up. These guys, they didn't have a fighting chance. A survivor struggles to warn others. Are there things that we could have done better? Absolutely. When W5 continues.
I'm kind of triggered because this is exactly what it looked like, this weather, like when the sun just broke now, and it's exactly like this noon on Halloween 2001. Mark Henderson, the first known survivor of serial killer Bruce MacArthur, who has never publicly told his story, revisits the scene of the crime, his own apartment building in the heart of Toronto's gay village. Is it strange to be back here? Um, it's pretty weird. It was here almost two decades ago that Mark was walking in the back entrance of his building. Bruce MacArthur, who he recognized from the tight-knit gay community, came running up behind him. I thought he was just catching a door instead of walking around the building. This is my door, and that's the rental office. So I thought he was proceeding past me. I was paying no attention to him. I was not nervous. I was unlocking the door. Out of nowhere, MacArthur pulled out a metal pipe and started bashing Mark on the head. I could see from his demeanor that he meant business. This wasn't going to end well. A caved-in head, a damaged hand and fingers. When Bruce MacArthur turned himself in, he initially claimed he'd had a previous sexual relationship with Mark. And at his trial in 2003, there was a blame-the-victim narrative. The Crown said Mark had a reputation as a male hustler and that he foolishly let the accused in through the back door, leading MacArthur to believe it may have been an opportunity for sex. MacArthur eventually admitted they'd had no sexual relationship and pleaded guilty. Now this is key. The fact he served no jail time for the attack would later help MacArthur slide under the radar when men started going missing. September 2010, Skanda Navratnam. December 2010, Abdul Basir Faizi. October 2012, Majid Kahan. In 2012, Toronto police set up a task force called Project Houston. As W5 exposed in a previous documentary, they were acting on a wild tip that the men were victims of a cannibal ring. It was obvious that we had a problem that we needed to investigate and resolve, and that's why the project was called Houston. Houston, we have a problem. That's correct. And Bruce MacArthur? Well, he was actually brought in for questioning, but was released crime writer and gay activist James Dubrow has followed the case closely. MacArthur was already flagged as having known two, if not three, all three of the disappeared people, and having been a person, a violent person who'd beat up Mark Henderson. It's just shocking to me that they, they didn't name him as the prime suspect, let alone one of the key suspects. Do you think that Bruce MacArthur was emboldened by the fact that he got away with what he did to Mark Henderson? Oh, yes. I mean, there's no question. And had they given him what, what I would have thought at least a year or so in jail, then it would have been taken a lot more seriously. That's part of the problem. It's not considered such a major criminal record. What no one knew at that point is that Bruce MacArthur had already killed three men. But when he was questioned by police, his criminal record showed just a minor assault with no jail time. And so he wasn't even considered a suspect. Toronto Police Inspector Hank Itzinga was the lead investigator in the MacArthur case. When Bruce MacArthur walks in in 2013, knowing some of the men who disappeared, with a criminal record of assaulting a man, does a red flag not go off and say, geez, maybe this is a guy we should look at more seriously? It wasn't uncommon 
to interview witnesses who knew one, two, or three of those men. It also wasn't unusual to interview witnesses who had previous criminal records. The fact that Bruce MacArthur walks in and talks to a cop, turns around and walks out, feels strange and a failure. I've often contemplated what really could have been done different if an investigator had, had twigged. Could surveillance have been put on Bruce MacArthur? If we had to put surveillance on everyone that we interviewed who knew one or three of those guys who had a criminal record, I think that's a proposition that is not realistic. Police eventually discovered that Cannibal Ring didn't exist and Project Houston wound down. The next year, more men vanished. In 2015, Sarush Mahmoodi and Karushna Kanagaratnam. In April of 2016, Dean Lisowick disappeared. And two months after that, police missed another opportunity to catch Bruce MacArthur. 911, what's your emergency? Somebody just tried to strangle me. I need to know what happened. He tried to strangle me to death. His name is Bruce. The victim escaped, and Bruce MacArthur, just like after the attack on Mark Henderson, turned himself in. But this time, he persuaded police that he did nothing wrong, that it was a lover's spat. They believed him, and no charges were filed. One of the most compelling reasons why police let MacArthur go after that 911 call is that when they searched his criminal record, he didn't have one. And that's because shortly after he was interviewed by police about the missing men three years previously, he went out and got a pardon. His record was wiped clean. In the eyes of the law, that attack against Mark Henderson never happened. Going to get a pardon shortly after being interviewed as a witness in the missing man in Project Houston was a stroke of evil genius. Yes, getting a pardon made sense. He'd been talked to about some of these missing people. Uh, he enjoyed the game, I think, of, you know, uh, outwitting the police, you know, and, uh, but a very clever criminal. Less than a year after the 911 assault call, in April of 2017, Salim Essen disappeared. And just two months later, in June of 2017, Andrew Kinsman vanished, bringing the number of missing men up to eight. I, I didn't want to be the victim myself. I know these guys didn't want to be the victim. I didn't want it to go four and then five and then six and seven and eight. I didn't, it kept climbing in it. It was like being in a bad dream. Mark Henderson says he tried to warn police that maybe the man who attacked him in 2001 was behind the disappearances. He says he called a tip line and that he mentioned Bruce MacArthur's name to a police officer at this community town hall meeting into the disappearances. I hold a lot of guilt. What do you mean you feel guilty? Uh, I feel I should have taken a bigger per... I should have just stood in the corner and screamed until somebody listened. Screamed what? Hear me, I think there's a credible threat. People are missing and this is the person I think it is. Bruce MacArthur's final victim was Andrew Kinsman. And unlike the other men, he was immediately reported missing. There were solid clues that led police directly to MacArthur. This morning at approximately 10.25 a.m., 
police arrested 66-year-old Bruce MacArthur. He was arrested on January 18, 2018, and Toronto police carried out a gruesome recovery mission. MacArthur had, for years, been burying his dismembered victims in planters at this house in Toronto, where his landscaping equipment was stored. These guys, they didn't, they didn't have a fighting chance. They died because there was a monster. They did nothing wrong. They did nothing wrong, but did police? That question is now the subject of a rare independent civilian review. I'm here to listen. Being led by retired Justice Gloria Epstein. For a single case to lead to this level of accountability is a recognition by those who oversee the police that something went wrong and that answers are necessary. Lawyer Shakur Rahim led the charge for a civilian review of how Toronto police conducted their investigation into the missing men. Serial killers are a phenomena that have existed for centuries. The question is, how can they get away with more cases when it relates to specific communities than others? What you mean because they were gay men? Because they were gay and often racialized South Asian or Middle Eastern men. If you had a phenomena, for example, of the spouses of the most powerful bankers in this city going missing, it would be mass panic. And I think that is part of what the story was here. Toronto's gay community has been highly critical of the fact that police had three different interactions with Bruce MacArthur. Over almost two decades, he got away without any jail time for physical assaults. And it took eight years and eight dead men to finally put him behind bars. Looking back on the investigation, how do you feel police did? I think we did a phenomenal job catching this guy. Uh, I wish it could have been done quicker. I wish we had gotten him sooner and some of these men were st would still be alive. Um, but I'm also very proud of the fact that we, we did get him. I think a lot of people would be surprised to hear you say that you're proud of the police investigation into Bruce MacArthur. I'm proud of the fact that we arrested and, and convicted Bruce MacArthur. Are there things that we could have done better? Absolutely. What are those things that could have been done better? Well, It's, it's really difficult without trying to look at it through a lens of hindsight. Judges do not retire from Ontario's highest court of appeal, and mayors do not back multi-million dollar independent reviews because everything was done right. Just after Thanksgiving, that independent review entered a final stage with this virtual town hall. Sharing your experiences takes courage. Justice Epstein's lead counsel, Mark Sandler, highlighted the fact that the attack on Mark is part of the review. We're also looking at events that took place in 2001 when Mr. MacArthur was convicted of an offence against um, an unsuspecting member of the community. Mark is among the 235 people who have had in-person interviews with Justice Epstein for the first time, he felt heard. 
I felt very vindicated to be able to pierce some light into a dark, dark, dark area with them. I was astounded that they didn't know my story. Sitting at his side during that interview, Mark's big sister, Tracy, one of the few people who knows just what he's gone through. <laughs> oh, I missed you. It's Friday afternoon in Toronto's Gay Village. Because of COVID, this is the first time that Mark and Tracy have been able to see each other in months. Tears, lots of tears, always. And why the tears? Just for what he's been through. My sister and I are the luckiest two people in this whole situation. We're not paying the, the price everyone else paid. So the least we can do is tell the truth. I'm alive. Every day I get up, I get to walk down the street with hope. I'm breathing air. I'm not in a planter. He didn't win in every battle with Canada's most notorious serial killer. I won. The Civilian Review was supposed to release its findings by January because of COVID and an overwhelming response from the community affected by the crimes. The date for that final report has been extended until the end of March. You've been listening to CTV's W5 with Avery Haynes.